All right, turn over in your scriptures to Psalm 63. Welcome. We're really thankful to gather with you this morning that you can be here. The, the beauty of the, the song sung and the work that has been done in this room. Can I just uh, make mention of a couple of uh, groups of people, the worship team? Uh, first of all, throughout the week last week, we had VBS in this room and just tons of kids everywhere. Oh, it's going to go up and down. It'll be all good. The lights, it'll be fine. But um, the willingness of everybody to work hard throughout the week, and uh, on this stage Friday at like noon was pie in the face and, and uh, all sorts of, as you can imagine, excitement w- with the kids enjoying the end of the, the VBS week, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ day by day, uh, some responding in grace, parents connected with... Uh, we pray seeds planted for God's glory. This room was quickly moved into wedding mode, and so there was a wedding rehearsal on this stage a couple hours later, Friday evening, a wedding in here Saturday, and then the worship team, which would normally practice Thursday night, couldn't, so they came in early this morning so that they could be ready for to lead us in the worship service. And all those are these little things, but it's the tech team, and it's the setup team, and it's the worship team, all willing to flex and serve so that we can come into the sanctuary of the Lord, the gathered people of the Lord, and, and see his glory clearly. And so we praise God for that. Thank you to the teams. And uh, I just ask if you would just give them a, a round of applause, thanking them for the work that they've done. <laughs> praise the Lord. Thanks. I'm allowed to say this. Gary's not here today because, well, he didn't say this. Gary's off today. He'll be back with us next week. And it's his birthday today. So you just let you do that. Do with that what you want to do this week uh, as you maybe reach out to him or um, send him an email. In Psalm 63, we're going to continue our study of the Word of God. It's a beautiful psalm. If you remember last week, Gary said we're, we're still in these psalms where the, the name of God is used instead of the Lord. And the way I would explain it is like this. If, if uh, my son Luke is in the office here and there throughout the summer, and so when we're together, uh, he calls me dad. You know, that's nice, right? But the reality is with other people around him calling me dad, it might be this like, oh, okay, am I like speaking, am I in a family moment I shouldn't be in here? It might be off-putting to people. So in the office this, this summer, if, if he'd like to, and when there's people around, I just invite him, you can just, just call me J- John if you're okay with that, all right? So far he hasn't been okay with that, but, <laughs> but the point is when, he, when we're with a group of people and he says, John, everybody has the same connectedness with me because he's just using that name. That's the difference between Lord, he's the covenant keeper, the one I love, the one I know. And when we're out in the world around us, Paul, or excuse me, uh, David is using the term God so that everybody can feel like we can all come and get our, our minds wrapped around that name for the Lord and get introduced to him. And that's where we are. We're in the midst of Psalms in book 2, 41, I think there's 71, which are all uh, the Psalms that really focus on the, the name of 
God. Now we're in the midst of a couple of Psalms where the king, the king on the throne, namely David, is writing directly. He's bypassing the people. He's not talking about the community. He's not talking about the physicality of of the kingdom. He's talking to God about what he's called to. And quite frankly, there's some challenges and he's he's being prevented from being on the throne of God. So that's as far as I want to go. We're going to read the text And uh, then we'll jump in from there. I just want you to have that background as we read the text here, okay? Psalm 63. Here we go. A psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. And so, Father, we pray for help today. We want to see you clearly. We want to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for the team that led us to sing your praises. Thank you for the words spoken and the encouragement to our hearts. We have met with you and we continue to meet with you as we open the word. Lord, thank you that um, you see every one of us. While we gather corporately and in a special way you're here, you know our names. You know why we were awake last night. You see the challenges of the coming week. You know about the conversations we have and about the situations we face. And you love us and you're good to us and you will not leave us. And so we pray for help. We pray for help along the way in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in David's 63rd Psalm, or excuse me, the 63rd Psalm, David is writing, and uh, we get the sense of like what this Psalm is all about from that little inscription at the top. Sometimes we, uh, I quickly bypass that inscription and move on, but it really gives us a sense of why David wrote this. So the, the inscription says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now in the notes it says there could be two different times in his life when this might be... Uh, applicable to him could be when he was battling against Keilah early in his life before he became king. And so if you recall, what happened was he, he said, hey, God, should I go down and, and, uh, 
defeat Keilah. God says yes. His mighty men, his army said no. He went anyway, and then Saul got on his tail and was just closing in on him to take his life. And so in essence, what we saw there is David hears clearly from the Lord, obeys immediately, and is devastatingly punished for it. At least that's how it feels to him. As he's still not on the throne. Because he's got a promise from the Lord that he's going to be on the throne one day, and he's waiting and waiting and waiting. Could be, and I think this is more likely, that this uh, comes from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I, uh, so here's what's happening there. Absalom, so let me just say this, David's already on the throne in Jerusalem. Absalom is raised up. Absalom is his own son. He is raised up. He kicks David out of the city. He takes control of the capital. He wants power. And even though David had received the promise of the Lord and he was the king, it seemed like the promise was interrupted and could be even brought to an end. Now, the reason I think that it's probably the 2 Samuel 15 passage is because of the last verse in in Psalm 63, the king shall rejoice. He's already calling himself king, and he's talking about the future when he would rejoice again on the throne. He knew the rebellion wouldn't last forever. That's why I think it might be 2 Samuel chapter 15. Don't know for sure. But here's, here's some things we can say for sure, that David throughout the psalm is talking about how his soul is satisfied, and uh, I just want to kind of walk through steps to a completely satisfied or contented heart, and the way that I'm saying it is even when the wheels are off the cart. So here are three examples of the way the wheels are off the cart. You know what that's all about, right? You were going down the road, flat tire, all forward motion stopped, all plans thrown out the window. You have no idea if or when you'll get to a destination that you hoped for. Everything seems ruined. Wheels are off the cart. Three distinctives of the wheels being off the cart. Number one, when God offers good things, but you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and you still don't have it yet. We think about relationships. We think about children. We think about children returning to the Lord. We think about health. There's promises. We can ask God for help, but you're still waiting for God to move. You're still asking him to do it. And uh, I would just say in 1 uh, 1 Samuel 23, there's an example of the wheels off the cart for him while he's in the wilderness for David. It could be, number two, you heard his voice, you've acted faithfully, and now you've lost ground. And I would just say, wheels off the cart, you've lost ground. Don't know why. The job you had in your hand is gone for some reason. The relationship you possessed and you thought would continue, broken. And so you got something from the Lord. He is and was faithful to you. David was on the throne, but here it's not just a a rebellion, his own son publicly rebelling against him and making a mockery of God and David's kingdom. So the temptation we face when we lose ground is confusion, disillusionment, and bitterness toward the Lord. Third example, Absalom's on the throne. throne. And so we might say that the wheels are off the cart 
when our enemies flourish, when our perceived enemies are flourishing in the world. They're getting away with it. They're going their own way. They seem to have everything they need, everything they want, and I don't, even though I sense in my heart there's nothing between me and the Lord. I'm, I'm aimed at him. I want to please him. I'm not getting anywhere. Wheels off the cart. And so that's the picture I want you to have as we move through this psalm. David may have any one or all of these kinds of examples in mind. Wheels are off the cart of his life. And all forward motion is stopped. And what do we do when we find ourselves in that scenario? Well, David gives us a prescription. And I would even say it's almost as if it's a four-step process. And so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to start with this. Steps to a completely content heart, number one. God is my God. David doubles down on what he knows about God. He doubles down on the reality of who God is. I want the picture of God in your heart and mind. David, starting from the beginning of his, in his heart, I'm sure, he is, he is saying, okay, this is the creator God who made everything and spoke it into existence. This is the uh, uh, all-powerful God who can do anything. And wheels off the cart in my life does not prove that God can't do anything. He is all-knowing. He is the provider. He is the covenant maker. Praise the Lord. He is the covenant keeper. He works strongly and helps us. He always tells us the truth. We can always trust him. He is gracious and merciful. He is the miracle worker. He frees Israel from years of captivity with no army, with no power, with no guns or weapons. He frees them and brings them into eventually a a promised land. And and David just starts with, okay, wheels are off the cart of my life right now. I do not know what's going to happen next, but here's where I'm going to start today. With my journal open, my Bible open, my heart aimed at the Lord. Oh God, you are my God. No matter how bleak things appear, we turn to him. We press into him in the midst of the trial. Not... Leaning away. There is no, we sang it this morning, there is no other God. He has no rivals. He is honored and the world is evangelized while you and I trust him in the midst of trouble. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. This earnest seeking going on there, the word is from this word like, like break forth, and you and I can imagine like the sunrise. So it's as if, as if the wheels are off the car, but it's just, like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here's plan number one. I've got God. I'm going to take my lawn chair out in the middle of the night in the darkest place. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I do know this. From the east, that's where the sun rises, and I'm going to wait for him to break forth. The word there is my, I am on the lookout for you, God. This can't be the answer. This can't be where you leave me. And so I know something's going to happen. Something's going to come. So the dawn's going to break forth. And and when the dawn breaks forth, I'm not going to be busy trying to put the wheels back on my own cart. I'm not going to try to orchestrate and control my whole life and and be so committed to my plan, my way, my desires, my expectations that that I'm not looking for the Lord. And so that word there, earnestly, I seek you, I'm on the lookout for you, God. I am all in on waiting for you to make the next move because I'm out of ideas for moves. 
It's a beautiful statement of trust when David says, earnestly I seek you. There's a sense in which that word earnestly and because of the break forth, it's first thing, first priority in David's life. Uh, Some commentators say, early in the morning I'm going to do this. I'm going to make certain that I uh, uh, make that the priority of my life to wait on you. And that could be, that could be. I'm on the lookout for you. And look what it says next. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. What? Wheels off the cart and changed plans and no way I can do what I used to, to, used to do or was committed to doing. Can't do that anymore. It has a way of really crystallizing what we really want, doesn't it? My soul thirsts for you. Notice it does not say, my soul thirsts for the wheels to be put back on the cart so I can continue on my way. It does not say, while I'm asking you to help with a band-aid as I've fallen down here, I still want things my way. It doesn't say that. It says, okay, all the goals that I was committed to, all the direction I was going prior to. Now again, sometimes David was going God's way. He was trusting God's promise. And yet, you're saying, okay, at the end of the day, when I'm learning here with the wheels off the cart, I'm starting with this priority. I need you, not your blessings. I need you, not the stuff I might get if I follow after you. I need you, Lord, to come and show up and and help me. And so while this crazy issue persists, the afflictions I'm facing, I want and need God. And in essence, what he's saying here, if we're going to start at the right place... I know I have him. Oh God, you are my God. Step one. Hey, uh, can you say with conviction that God, the living God, the God who is alive and caring, the God who makes covenant and keeps it, the God who promised to show his love for you, the God who delivered his love in the person of Jesus Christ dying in your place, the God who raised his son from the dead the third day for you, for love, the God who lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, can you say with a clear heart, not to me, not to a friend, not to your mom, to him. Oh God, you are my God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about Sunday school hour. I'm talking about there's no training wheels. There's no one telling me what to do. In the quiet place of my heart, he is everything. And that's how David starts. Satisfied soul starts with knowing God and knowing that God is your God. If he is your God, you know he is your God. There is no satisfied soul in this world. There is no satisfied soul in this world until God is your God. Human trouble in this world, in this generation, on the earth comes from hearts whose God is not the Lord. And we can say with a clear conscience and trueness and, and generosity and genuineness, God is my God. Uh, friends, we are beginning to have this peace, this content that God's called us to. Secondly, steps to a completely content heart. God is my God. I am sure about what I have seen God do. Look at verse 2. So I have 
looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. And again, that word look there, it's kind of a unique word. It's, it's saying, I, I've had like a vision of you. Now, that word is used, vision, in about half the senses of this, and we purposely don't use it here. So I'm not trying to say it should say I've had a vision, but here's what I'm saying. It's a word that talks about particular, close inspection that has led us to a right conclusion about what we've seen. So you've seen God, David's seen God in the sanctuary, and he became sure in the sanctuary of what he was looking at, okay? Let's let's put a couple of uh, practical suggestions out there. David's habit was to go gather with the people of God regularly in the tabernacle. He was around God's people all the time. He was around the teaching of God's word. He He was regularly with the people. And can I just tell you what God's doing in the world today? as beautiful, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, as beautiful as the Supreme Court decision was on Friday, and that was a great uh, victory in a lot of ways. Can I just tell you what he does every Sunday morning when my eyes see that he is better than life, when, when your eyes perceive who he is and how he loves you, when you grow in grace and when he sends us out from this place to serve him Sunday through Sunday and then calls us back again, that where two or three are gathered, God is here. Listen, this gathering, when we sing the songs on Sunday morning, that's not a tradition that the church has become accustomed to. That is a miracle that in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, a group of called out, redeemed people come to sing the songs of praise and worship and adoration of the living God. And those words stick with us and change us and teach us about his faithfulness. And it's a miracle to see it. It's a miracle to participate in it. And so the gathering and what God does here in the sanctuary is not mundane and boring. Can I just tell you, parents? It is up to us, grandparents, it is up to us to see how profound, miraculous, earth-changing, and amazing this gathering is and then rehearse it in our own hearts to one another and put it in words that our kids can understand whether they're three or 23 and live that out and live that out. That's what David's saying. He's saying, look, here's, here's the thing about this. My, the wheels are off the cart, but let me just... Let me just call on some stuff that I've banked throughout my life. And one of the things I've banked throughout my life is I've been gathering with God's people all throughout my life and seen his hand powerfully change life. You see what it says there in verse 2? I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. God can do anything, and he powerfully acts I jotted down uh, six or seven things that I have witnessed God do in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary, remember, the Holy Spirit lives in us, so it's not a room, it's not a church. If God lives in your heart, you're a sanctuary. And so we're talking about the gathered corporate body of Christ. So in the gathered corporate body of Christ, things that I've seen God do, and maybe you've seen things like this too, marriages growing, marriages still forming, a, a, a wedding in this room a couple of days ago, but watching you and me work out what God's doing in our hearts and becoming more and more devoted. Can I just tell you, 
When I say that, here's what I, I know in our hearts we could easily say. My marriage is not growing. We had a fight yesterday. I'm not saying Nikki and I did. I'm saying what we all could say. We could say this from time to time. Do we ever fight? Rarely. Once in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's usually me, right? But with that said, here's what I'm saying. Evidence that marriages are, are struggling, you, you could easily say, well, okay, I guess you know, my marriage is, in, is not growing. Um, and can I just tell you, uh, what we need to do is double down on trusting the Lord and, and pursuing our spouse. When you pledged your heart to her or him that day, uh, you pledged to take care of and devote that person as your highest priority for the rest of your life. And I see all through it. I see people, when there's health issues, uh, the, the stronger of the couple taking care of, when there are decisions to be made, when there is uh, opportunities to serve, we go down the list. And by the way, same is true of singleness. To see the way that God is transforming singleness in our congregation. Stick around after this gathering and talk to some of our uh, young adults. You can talk to, I'm not going to, okay, I'm going to pick on people here, all right? But talk to Wesley afterwards today and just say, tell me about what God's doing in your life. Because he's on my list for the, for the month of June and the month of May and the month of April of what God's doing in people's lives. Radically rebuilding and changing for his own glory. And I don't want to come here on Sunday morning and say, oh yeah, I talked to that guy, talked to that girl. Okay, let's go home. The game's on. No. What God is doing in this place is miraculous. Tom and Denise Flickinger. Tom was near death a few weeks ago, and I got a call from Denise on a Saturday, and she said, the doc told me that if I've got a pastor that can minister last rites, I should call him. She said, I'm not asking you to come because I know that we don't need last rites. Should I tell the family what the doctor said? And we talked that through, and we prayed that through. And uh, Tom and Denise attended the service this morning. He's got a long way to go to be healed, completely healed. Tom was near death, and the doctors moved. And can I just tell you, God is good. I could tell you about outreach and faithfulness and kids and parents. I could talk to you about Serve Sheboygan and connections being made in the neighborhood and people being willing to talk about Jesus. And that's coming up in a couple weeks. You can still participate in, in doing acts of love and service trying and doing our best to put the gospel on display in the neighborhood. Last week, VBS, I can tell you story after story of kids signed up, coming in here, excited about what God's doing, seeds planted for the glory of Jesus Christ. I could talk to you about missions. I could talk to you about baby care. On June 24th, 2022, one of the most pivotal decisions in, the, in our lifetime was made by the Supreme Court two days ago to send the decision about what will happen with abortion back to the states. Now, I am not here to celebrate this politically. It is a good move, and it, it definitely gives us the opportunity to support and protect life. But I can I just tell you, Marge uh, emailed me the other day, and uh, it, she said this, now is the time for people to help support moms and babies in need. In other words, we're not just against abortion, we're for life. We love people, and we long to see babies taken care of. Baby care does that. 
putting supplies in people's hands free of charge. And so by God's grace, there's already a ministry operating that may be needed more than ever and an opportunity for us to not just say, uh, boy, I'm, I'm happy politically. Okay, we are active serving people. And we know all that because like David, in the sanctuary, we have seen the strength and the glory of God's hand. And we didn't miss it. We're writing it down. Our eyes are peeled on him and watching what he'll do as we pray for our children and we pray for our own hearts to grow. And if we come in here on a Sunday with unbelieving, ho-hum, sort of uh, lackadaisical eyes and we miss what God's doing, here's what I can tell you. When the wheels fall off the cart, we will sit along the roadway for a long time wondering what in the world we're going to do. But when our eyes are fixed, and when we can look back and say, I've been in the sanctuary of the Lord, and I've been paying attention, and I see this, God is strong, and God is glorious, and whatever has happened right now to change my plans and to stop my forward momentum does not mean that God is not active. Quite the contrary. It is proof that God's at work in my life. He's stopping me from going one direction for a reason. He is good and strong in your life, and he will not let you go. So, certainty about what God, about who God is and what I've done, because we've seen him in the sanctuary. We've seen him in the sanctuary. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. So here's the, the verse 3. The subject is this. My lips will praise you. Okay, so we, we have a, uh, uh, a verbal response to the reality that God is enough for our soul. The verbal response is praise. But you see, it's because, because your steadfast love is better than life. So, so here's the picture. David is saying, I would, if it came down to it, these two things on the table, I could choose a life of 80 years, a lifespan that's uninterrupted and ease and no trouble, or I could choose a close relationship with God where my soul is totally committed to him and he's everything to me, but I can only choose one or the other. The better choice is having God with the trouble. I like to uh, read books that uh, inspire me. And so this year I've been reading these books. My kids and my wife are going to laugh because I'm like, oh boy, here we go. The Comfort Crisis. The Comfort Crisis is a book that says um, one of the reasons we are so stressed out is because we never stress ourselves. We never do big, hard, tremendously difficult things that sort of put our life in danger. And so we, uh, we let the littlest little problems totally control us. And so the answer for the stress is not less stress and avoiding it. It's getting out there and doing something strong and powerful and really, really hard. By the way, little parentheses, you should read The Comfort Crisis. It's a great read. <laughs> Here's another one, Deep Survival. It's a book all about plane crashes and um, avalanches and uh, lost hikers. It's great. <laughs> I read that while we were in the Grand Canyon, and Nikki would not let me talk about it at all. <laughs> while some, the, the subtitle is Why Some People Live and Why Some People Die. 
Out and Back is a great book by Hilary Allen. She's a skyrunner, long story short, fell off the side of a mountain and uh, lived to tell about it. And she is, so here, here's what we learn. Here's, what I, here's my conclusion. When you stare death down, it changes the rest of your life. When you stop trying not to die, you start to live. To put in David's perspective, when you make the promises of God and his goodness and his mission for your life the main thing, and that puts your life in danger, you're okay with that. So the lessons of these books, big stresses make other stress look smaller. Every day becomes a bonus. Guys, I'm 52. I'm going to die. To quote John Piper, you're going to die. We're going to die. The quicker we come to peace with that reality, the quicker we can start living with not reckless abandon, but faithful and appropriate risk-taking. Put your name out there. You stand for Jesus. We're not afraid of things that are in the news. We're not afraid of trouble. We're not afraid of graffiti. We're not afraid of responses. We're not afraid of criticism. We're not afraid to die if we're the name of Jesus. When you stop trying not to die, you really do learn to live. And David is just saying here, here's what I found out. Your loving kindness is better than life. And literally the word life there is 80-year lifespan, pretty joyful, unmessed with. To do something hard is not just go out on a big hike, not just avalanche, not just survive. The big thing you're called to, serve the Lord with gladness. Make him your king. Be on mission, his mission, every day, even if it's really, really, really dangerous. And by the way, moms and dads, encourage your kids to do the same. Ninth grade, school, bomb threat, North High School, me and Nikki asking ourselves, do we send Drew to school today? And Drew looks us in the eye and says, looks mom in the eye and says, I'm going to school. I'm not afraid to die. Friends, we're going to die. I'm not saying that makes us passive. I'm not saying that makes us willy-nilly. I'm saying with David, it should make us the boldest people in the world. We know what comes next. We know that after death comes life eternal in his presence, and it's going to be okay. David is calling you and me to do this hard thing. Stand for the exclusivity and the glory of his name in this generation. And if you have to surrender your physical life, which very few of us will, don't worry. It's worth it. It's not just an even trade. Your loving kindness is better than life. It's better than life in this So the conclusion about my life, as long as I live, I will bless you. You see that? He's got a bunch of conclusions about his life. Verse 4, or verse 3, better than life. Verse 3, or 4, as long as I live. And later on, verse 9, those who seek to destroy my life. He is very much understanding that his life is in danger, and he is going to continue to seek the Lord even while his life is in danger. Are you absolutely certain about the power and glory of God? You've got your 
notes down. You've seen the story of what God's doing in people's lives. You know it's real. You know that, that, that what you have seen and what God has revealed to you in the sanctuary is true about his name and you're ready and you're excited about the next thing. All right. Steps to a completely content heart. Number three, here we go. Clarity about your own deepest longings. What do you want? What do you want? When all your forward motion is stopped and the thing you were pursuing and controlling is no longer pursuable or controllable, you find out what you really want. Verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed and meditate, you on, meditate on you in the watches of the night. And so here, David, it comes really clear what he wants. Hey, can I just say to you this individual lament here, Psalm 63? There are zero questions. Sometimes when the wheels come off my cart, first question, why? Why? And by the way, that's not a bad question to ask. Because sometimes the answer is, I did it to myself. I was walking the wrong way. I did it in my own flesh. It is really good to ask the question why, especially if you're willing to be implicated in the answer. Why? But in this uh, text, here's the next thing, the next question I ask, when? When was this going to be over? And so David didn't have uh, questions about why or when. This whole psalm, this individual lament, it's really showing what he really feels deep in his heart. He's writing to the Lord. And it's, it is like a 16 statements about what he's learned from the wheels being off the cart. Here I am in the wilderness. Here's what I've learned so far. Verse 1, I seek you. I will seek you with all my heart. Verse 1, I am thirsty for you. I really need you. Verse 1, I am fainting for you. I, I need you like someone who's in the land with no water. Verse 2, I have looked upon you and the wheels being off the cart has caused me to look back at my life and realize that I have a clear vision of you and I'm going to move forward. Verse 2, beholding your power and glory. Verse 3, I will pray. Praise you. I will, verse 4, bless you. Verse 4, I will pray to you. Verse 5, I am satisfied with you. You're enough for me. If you are all I have, then I have more than enough. Verse 6, I will praise you joyfully. Verse 6, I will remember you. Verse 6, I will meditate upon you. We'll talk about that. Verse 7, I will sing for joy. And verse 8, my soul clings to you. No answer, no questions only answers. Here's where I'm going with my life, David says. I'm going to praise and honor the Lord with all I've got. Having him, I have enough. Friends, David's not saying be passive. On the contrary, he's saying, I found out what's better than life, and I have it, and he has me. And train your heart to want God, because when you want God, you will get God. He will not leave you looking for him and wanting him. Seek the Lord, and you will find him, the scriptures clearly say. So the removal of ease and comfort is not uh, the end of God's blessing. In David's experience, the removal of ease and comfort has been the beginning of God's blessing, because he's realizing how much he loves and needs the Lord. 
Your right hand, verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. If you're prone to write in your scriptures, you might want to draw a line from verse 1 to verse 5, from verse 2 to verse 6, from verse 3 to verse 7, and from verse 4 to verse 8. The problems in the first four verses are all resolved in the last four verses. Verse 1, I am seeking you, I'm thirsting for you. Verse 5, I'm quenched, you're enough. You see what verse 5 says there? My soul will be satisfied, satisfied with you. Verse 2, I'm looking for you, I'm beholding you in the past, and now when I wake up brokenhearted and completely obsessed with the problem in the middle of the night, by the way, that's normal. Look at verse 6. Because I've been looking at you and I've taken careful notes of you throughout my life, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm remembering you, not obsessing about the problem. You're going to take care of the problem. I'm remembering you, and I'm meditating about you in my bed in the watches of the night because you've trained your heart to look for him all throughout your life. It's become your habit. Verse 4, I lift up my hands in prayer. This might be my favorite. I lift up my hands in prayer to you, even though the wheels are off the cart. God, help me. God, come and help me. You see what happens in verse 8? He reaches down and takes your hand when you hold your hands up to him. It says literally, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Right hand is always a symbol of how strong and powerful God is. And every one of us could be terrified at how strong he is. What will he do with his right hand? With his power, with his strength? Isaiah says, with his hands he he scoops us up like a good shepherd and holds us close to his chest. And here David says, you know what he does with his right hand? He reaches down and takes mine turns out when I thought I was strong enough, I wasn't. But with his right hand, he upholds me. He helps me. He does not use his power against his people. He gathers us close to his heart. David's deepest longing was to know God more. He's the man after God's heart, and he learned this. He had his desire to know God forged because of the affliction. And you will too. Well, as we bring this to a conclusion, we're going to look at verse four, uh, the fourth concept in just a minute. Just want you to know what we have not said thus far here this morning is well, just hold on to some stuff you learned about God because you know eventually, I mean, maybe maybe He'll work and maybe He won't. Just just try harder and hang on. Eventually, things will work out. That is not what we're saying. Look at verse nine. The people who have opposed me so far, who, have dist- who would seek to destroy my life, are going to answer for what they've done. They shall go down to the depths of the earth. So we have confidence in God's promises. You can have a completely satisfied soul because you believe what God has said to you. David knew he would be back on the throne. And you know God will be with you. He is enough for you. David's outcomes, whether it was in 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan. Jonathan, Saul's son, comes and says to him, listen, I'm going to help you and strengthen your hand, and eventually I know you will be on the throne. So the king's son comes and encourages David eventually 
in the midst of the wheels off the cart. You can imagine Jonathan is sort of like the AAA. And he comes out to the side of the car and puts the wheels back on the cart. Says, yeah, keep going. Keep trusting. Keep going. Absalom. The rebellion is put down, and that's a painful story. And I really do encourage you to read 2 Samuel 15 and 16 later this week. But this we know, David is restored to the throne. So what are we saying? Wanderings and afflictions can be lifetime realities, and they can change your life permanently. Sometimes the promise taken back or the blessing that you had in your hand is gone forever. And you're left to live with a lot of pain. Can I just tell you that God will be faithful? He'll be faithful to the one you love. He'll be faithful to himself. He'll be faithful to you. And David is still teaching you that his loving kindness, God's loving kindness, is better than life. It may not be that life ever goes back to the ease or the comfort or the way you were going in the past. But as you pursue the Lord, God will keep his promises. God will keep his ultimate promise to you that you belong to him if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that you will go to be with him and that death is the last enemy to be destroyed. And you will be with him, living in his presence forever without any affliction. No wheels off carts ever again. But David isn't saying that. David is saying, I'm confident that you are going to act in my lifetime. Can I tell you, God is going to answer your prayers. David says, the king will rejoice in God. I'm confident of that. God's going to act. He's acting today. If you're alive today, he worked yesterday to get you here. If you're still breathing, God's at work in your life. If you wake up tomorrow, and you may not, God's still at work in your life. And so we treasure every day and we ask him to resolve things. And the normal reality of all of our lives is that we do get back on the road. You ever have that situation where you get back on the road after the wheels are off the cart and suddenly you hear every little thing? You're like, wait, wait, what, what, that, what is that noise? What's that noise in the engine? Is the car driving crooked? It feels like something's not right here. It feels like, what's going on here? And sometimes right after God comes and puts the wheels on the cart for you and you continue, it's fear time. Again, because you're just not sure. You, really what we're doing is saying, things are too good right now. Let me wait for God to drop the, drop the boom back on me again because I'm having too much fun in life right now. The normal condition of your life is a position of blessing as you pursue the Lord and trust him and walk with him. God's not out to drop booms. But this, this we know, when there is a flat tire and all your forward motion has stopped, it is proof that he's at work in your life. And he wants you to come and say, I am going to stop looking for fulfillment anywhere else. The plan that's over, I'm going to let it go. The issue that I'm dealing with, I'm going to stop trying to force it. I can't control it. I'm not sure what God's doing, but this I know. I'm going to trust the Lord. Steps to a completely content, satisfied soul. God is my God, and I know it.
I've watched him work and do strong things in the sanctuary. There's none like him. I have become very clear of my deepest longings, and they are not for ease and comfort in this world. I'm not trying to set up a kingdom in this world. I want God. I want him. I'm serving him. And I have complete confidence that every one of God's promises he will keep to me. Would you stand with me as we are dismissed this morning? Lord, we're not after ease and comfort. We are not after only or merely your blessings. They will come, David says. They will come. But we are praying even now, today, for the one whose forward motion is halted that we would, that I would not turn to my own ways, to my own frustrations, that I would not lash out with words of angst, but my words would be words of joy and song to you while I wait. That we would see your hand of blessing on us. Lord, we pray for the ones that are driving past us on the road while we have wheels off the cart. You call us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And here this morning, we rejoice. Now, thank you that you hear these things. And every one of us thanks you. We are not looking to get out of this world or stop this mission you've called us to. Instead, we are committed to it because your loving kindness is better than life. And we do know that one day, our ultimate our ultimate victory will be that we will be with you forever. And we trust you. So dismiss us now, we pray, with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.